Hi everyone, it's Karina, the founder of Mission Magazine, the first fashion philanthropic interactive media brand with our tagline for fashion for beauty for good. Our next mission podcast, which is hosted by myself and my dear friend Charlene Spatiri, singer-songwriter of the UK band Texas, is someone who I met by pure coincidence and ended up being in our current issue of Mission. I've always wanted to do a singing or talking cover and this person has made paper sing. Literally. Today we get mesmerised by the wonderful, charming, intelligent and witty Dr Kate Stone. We get to hear what her latest technology conquests have been since lockdown and much, much more. It was a breath of fresh air and a much needed tonic to listen to the excitement of Dr Stone talking about their work. I hope you get as much joy out of this as I did. At the end of the podcast, we lost a little of the sound, I think, from dropped global internet connections. So I apologise that it stops rather suddenly. A very good listen nonetheless, so I do hope you stay and listen. Take care and be well. I've got to tell you, I'm feeling very smug at this moment in time because we've got a PhD in physics and microelectronics coming on and she cannot get on. Therefore, I'm feeling very proud of myself. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a nightmare. Um, I was getting 404 issues. I tried on my PC, my laptop and my phone and Chrome and Firefox. Anyway, what I've been trying to do for the last probably, it's embarrassing that I've spent six weeks trying to do this and it's getting on for eight weeks. Um, Because I don't really know how long I've been doing it for what i i do a lot of like keynotes a lot of talks and obviously they've all been cancelled right and 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 then people are like doing things over zoom and stuff and it's i don't want to do that i don't want to do that and 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 the thing is i believe that whenever we're faced with adversity if if we embrace that adversity and engage our creativity then we come up with ways of solving what the problem in front of us but end up with something that's actually better than what we had before. And that always fascinates me. And so if I can try and figure out how can I solve for not being able to fly somewhere and give a keynote and get paid, which is kind of the nice bit. <laughs> if I can find a way of doing that remotely without doing it on a fucking Zoom call, you know, because people are saying, oh, no one has an attention span. Um, no one's going to sit and stare at a screen for half an hour or an hour and you know and listen to something or watch something it you know doing things on a screen just doesn't work it's not the same as being in the theater and don't know if you can hear that it's a bit of morse code in the background coming from my ham radio friends um <laughs> I, I know you're supposed to start with your name so um my name is katie my name is katie two ryd kilo delta two romeo yankee delta that's my call sign um <laughs> Yeah, I love that. I love that because my dad was in the merchant navy, and whenever people come on the phone, I'm like, Charlene's Spiteri, I'm like Sierra Hotel, Alpha Romeo, Lima, Echo, Echo, November, and they're literally like, what? And I'm like, thank you very much. Exactly, exactly. I'm loving that you've got it to down into you as well. Fantastic. It's it's been that's a whole other story, but maybe I'll tell that later. But it's been the best thing that's happened during COVID has been my hand radio. Anyway, the thing is, is that I started thinking that like maybe when they invented the cinema or like television, people were like, no one's ever going to watch anything on the screen. It's like, it's not the same as being in a theatre. It's just never going to work. And and then I thought, well, maybe the problem is not that it's on a screen. Maybe the problem is, is that you're trying to take what you do on a stage and do it on a screen and do it in a format that just doesn't work. And it's like, like Hamilton's obviously one of the best things on Broadway. But it's kind of okay on TV. And and so what I've been thinking is, how can I look at some TV shows and look at what they do and 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 try and do a live online version of my talk, but deliver it more like a TV show? Yeah, totally. Because I was going to say, you have to, you definitely, absolutely, 100% have to do it. It's a completely different visual i mean if you look at hamilton on stage it's like some of my camera a couple of cameras and it's got such a cold feel to it when it's filmed in a theater that there's nothing warming or um like it doesn't have that kind of romance of when you go to theater the smell the feel everything about being there is gone so you need to approach it like a movie 
So it's like they either make the movie, they'll make the movie a Hamilton, and then it'll be like, yeah, you know that that that's then that's when 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 it looks like what it's supposed to look like when you're viewing it on exactly. a, a TV or on a computer. So basically, what you need to do is when you do your talks, is get one a really good camera person, well, two cameras set up, filming you from two angles, and then you just need an amazing editor. That's how you do it. So I'm upping my challenge and my challenge is, is how can I do it all myself and, <laughs> and how can I, and how can I do it live? Um, oh and, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so I've spent eight weeks, maybe six to eight weeks trying to do it. And so I, I ended up with six cameras, but I only really use, how many cameras do I use? One, two, I only use three cameras. Three cameras, yeah. Yeah. So what I have is what, I have one main camera, but I can press the button and change that to do like close-ups and stuff of things I hold. And then I have another camera that's like an overhead camera. So when I do my demos, I switch to a camera that does looks down on the desk and, and still has a, and then has a, a picture in picture close-up of my face. So I get to talk about the thing. People can see my face and they can see my hands. And how are you change it? How you change it? Is it like have you got like but some kind of like button that that changes yeah. from camera to camera as you want it to live when you're yeah. filming it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I need Kate. I need one of those buttons. No, <laughs> I'd love to show you. So, so what I've done is, is I I've I've been learning how to use the software that gamers use to do live streaming. Oh my and, god. Yeah. Oh so, wow. So not only can I switch cameras, I can do any arrangement of cameras on the screen at the same time. So I can do a two-up. So I do a I do a live interview with someone during. So I'm, I've got a thirty-minute talk, and I'll and I'll I'll try and record the latest version today, and I'll share it with you. Um, as part of it, I do a live interview with with this hiker in the forest, except the hiker's me, and it's a pre-record, and I. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to have a fake conversation with her. <laughs> and it has our names underneath, and one of them's Kate, and one of them's other Kate. Genius. <laughs> so I have that, but then, and then as I'm talking, I can drop in media. And I've been watching, um, watch, I got inspired after I'd done this as um, by John Oliver last week tonight. I don't know if you see that show, it's on HBO. And it's kind of um it's normally in this live studio, but he's doing it from you know without, without the live audience, and he's just basically sat at a desk and he talks really quickly for half an hour, and then the right of him he has picture in picture media appearing as he's talking. So I have that. I have images that can appear, videos that can appear, and I just tap a button and they just appear next to me, um and so it gives that cut instead of cutting away to another camera angle i i bring in media and that breaks up the boredom of people seeing my yeah because it gives you that movement i think the mo- i think the movement and just the you know because i guess probably the way that our brains are sort of tuned as well now is ha- when, we're, when we're looking at a, a, a screen that we need that movement to you know just so as the heart rate changes slightly in bits and pieces of it or you just start dropping off if it's if it's so flat and that's the thing is when you film a live show it's just really flat because you're looking at it from one angle you're like okay I'm there away over there and we're away back here and that's what they're filming yeah yeah it doesn't look real you just don't feel that you connect with it no so I'm trying to learn I'm trying to learn to do this and and I think when people blame the media they say you know no one will stare at a screen I'm calling bullshit on that and the and the reason is my insight is that for 80 years television has glued eyeballs to screens and arseholes to couches <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> i mean we are we are the we are literally at this moment in time generation i'm literally sitting to box it after box it after box it yeah you know we're literally yeah. watching a whole you know like three seasons or something in one sitting yeah it's insane okay you're very engaging though when you look like we've both, Charlene and I have both watched your TED Talks and you're so engaging and fascinating yeah. that you draw the person in. You know, we're watching that on our computers, not in an audience. I'm sure it'd be even more engrossed, you know, really captivating. But you have a presence. You have a real charismatic and, presence. Yeah, your, your personality is like so warm. And I was saying to, I was saying to Karina as well, the, the excitement that exudes from you is just so intoxicating. 
you know, it was just really like amazing. Just, I love that you've 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 made this happen, and but you're still so excited by it because yeah. that's, that's you know that's just fantastic to see because you know the, the, the you you get the more you get excited, the more I felt I was getting excited. I was going, yeah, this is absolute. This is fantastic. This is brilliant. And do you know what? One of my questions is: I love your inventive mind. Have you been working on anything new since lockdown? Have you been busy? That's one of my questions. <laughs> that is a good question. So, well, well, really, it it, it has been. Um, how can I do what I do on a stage and do it? That that really is, you know, and it's it is, you know, and it is this the key insight of, like I say, you know, TV, TV glues, eyeballs to screens and arseholes to couches. That is insight number one, and insight number two is. In the same way as Garage Band for music and you know Photoshop for photography, um, you know put the tools in the hands of people on a computer to do this stuff. The tools that gamers use to live stream gives us the ability to do what CNN or BBC or HBO do on a live show. We can now have on our own computer, you know, and and so the combination of tools and and instead of trying to recreate what I do on stage. Look at your, think of the story you're trying to tell. Look at a TV show that tells that story well, whether it's The Great British Bake Off or fucking Love Island or whatever it is. Steal that, steal that format and tell your story through the format. Don't let, this, don't let the format be the story. Let the story be the story. And I'm not saying I've cracked it, but my obsession is, is how can I get somewhere towards doing a great job of doing that? that that's what I want to do. But the the you know the, the the set the the mindset that you've got on it is exactly right, and that's you know you'll improve and improve on that. You know it's like, for instance, when we make an album, making an album, you're still playing the instruments and you're still making a record, but it's the same song as you'll perform live. But when you play it live, it's different. You know, it's like it's 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 a it's a different mindset of how you do the same thing. Because you know you are doing the same thing, but you're doing it in a very different way. Yeah, and, and and that is why I want to figure out how to do this live. Because you know a lot of people can make a video and put it through post production and get someone really good to help. But how can I take the energy that you get from live and put that through the screen live, with all of the risk that comes of of everything that could go wrong? Um, you know, because I think the thing about live is shit can go wrong and and that create energy that an audience can feel yeah that's what makes it that's what makes the show i mean that is the thing that when you walk out on a stage the the, the only the, the first moment that you walk onto the stage is the only moment that it's that it's yours but then it becomes like a baton back and forth between you and the audience of the energy that goes between the two because certain things happen that then suddenly you go off on a tangent onto something else. I mean, do you do you do that in your live talks? Do you suddenly hear something or someone else that something happens in the audience that suddenly has, hits you and you're like off on another tangent? Yeah, no, exactly. Because when I do it, when, normally when I do a talk, uh, apart from the, the second TED talk, I couldn't do this. The first one, I did it more. But most of my talks, which are usually like 20 minutes to an hour, or I've done one that was an hour and a half. Gosh. Yeah, I, that that wasn't one of my favorite ones. Um, although it had consecutive translation, so um, which was kind of cool because in Spanish it was in um, Argentina, um, and and so I'd say something that I thought was funny, and half the audience would laugh, and then the translator would do the thing, and then the other half would laugh, <laughs> <laughs> which was kind of cool. But normally I just freestyle, so normally I have no slides, um, I have my demos. I just feel the the energy from the audience, and I just see where it goes, you know. And I just, yeah, I just freestyle, which is which is kind of cool. But the thing is, though, now doing this, trying to do this live over the computer, I'm have I've had to go the totally opposite way, and the whole thing is scripted. Um, I've downloaded software for AutoCue, and it's awful that I have to do this, but I have to read the whole thing. But I'm trying to do it in a way that still seems natural. So I'm trying to let the auto cue stimulate me to say the sentences I would have said anyway, and try and deliver them the same way. And the reason is, um, the reason is, I, <laughs> I've done this thing where certain key phrases, because I think I have a little bit of an accent and I mumble a little bit, so maybe people don't understand what I'm saying sometimes. 
And maybe sometimes I deliver a phrase that's incongruent with the context and what someone might have expected, which is what makes something interesting. When someone says something unexpected, it makes it interesting, but it also means you might not quite understand it. So there's certain key phrases, every, every, every once a paragraph, the words come out of my mouth as text and grow up and come up the screen and land at the top of the screen and, and sit there and then dissolve and then flow up like smoke. Because I kind of wanted it to be as if I was blowing smoke rings and people could read the words. Wow. Um, so I, <laughs> that took me a week or more, to be honest, to create that text. And I've created them as overlay videos with transparent backgrounds. And I had to learn to use After Effects. So I did that in After Effects. And so when I'm speaking in my autocue, it has cues to tell me what button to press. So in a certain point, I have to press F7 or F8. And when I press that, it starts a countdown. Okay, I have a question. All these things that you're discovering and making, were they on a long list that you've been trying to to get to for ages and having lockdown has allowed you the time? Or are you just organically thinking, I want to do this? Or what about this? And what about that? Yeah, organic. Option B. Wow. Option B. Amazing. Yeah. So you'll start figuring something out. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I want to deliver a talk online live. I want whatever image comes into my head. I want to be able to press a button and it appears on the screen. And I want people to see the words coming out my mouth. Not all the words, some of the words. Um, and, um, and, and I want it to be engaging like a TV show. And, and so, you know, it's taken me a month or more to pull all the bits together. It's probably not great yet or coherent yet because it's fucking difficult to get all these bits together and to figure out how one person films it, delivers it, produces it, directs it, writes it, like, and does it live. It was really, it was kind of hard. <laughs> can change everything. I mean, that's massive. It's massive if you can do that because, you know, the tools that you will give people to be able to do that because there's so many things that we're all being asked to do with the situation. And, you know, a lot of people, I'm exactly like you, I'm like, no, I don't want to do that because it's just going to be boring. It's going to be flat. It's going to be, you know, it kind of cheapens what you do. I don't want to do it. And it's just that could change everything because then it does become like, you know, it becomes it becomes something completely new because the energy that you have, you'll be editing live. Like, and, you know, creatively, that's something amazing. Because you know your timing, your own timing is like, you know, we all get our own timing. It's like, if you're in charge of that, it's like, for for instance, us going in and making a video, like a video, and then we have to sit in a, an editing suite with an editor, but, you know, sometimes they don't get the track and they don't, so, so you're going, oh, well, take that bit and use that bit because you know what's been filmed. But you're going to do that literally there and then live, running live, and you're editing your own work straight away yeah yeah and it's quite exciting you know and I've been on um you know I've been on some calls with like ad agencies and you know potential clients for things we can do you know and they're like they're on their zoom call they put their zoom shirt on over their pajamas or whatever they do (laughs) (laughs) you know and 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 I'm talking and then I'm like oh and I've got this demo and then I press a button and I can screen share from my iPhone live onto the computer screen um so they can see what's on my iPhone screen. I can share different windows. I can do picture in picture. I can do the overhead. I can show the demo. Um, you know, I tell people I'm doing my hydroponics. I've got a live stream from my hydroponics in the pantry. I can run out of my studio into the pantry, appear on the other camera, talk people through what I'm growing and stuff. Um, and and, and then any project we've done um, with any client, I've created shortcuts. So I have, so I, I have different scenes. So I have different numbers for different scenes. So I know if I press number seven, it takes me to my video media room. Um, when I press seven, no one sees anything change. But that means that every project we've done, I take the first letter of the project and tap that letter. So if I want to say what we did for McDonald's, I just tap M. And then a video starts playing picture in picture. And then when I press shift and M, it full screens it. And then I let it play. And then I press M back to picture in picture. Talk about it. If I want to show it with them for Audi, I press A. Or Pizza Hut, I press P. And that way, Amazing. just drop anything in instantly when I think of it. Um, I want it to be that spontaneous, you know. And 
people's jaws drop, which is kind of funny. <laughs> Do you know what I love as well? The bubbles with the with the words that of your speech made me think of the hard, the hard of hearing can be involved yeah. in this as well, which I think is, is brilliant to have it just yeah. for everybody that can yeah. be part of this, which is a new way, I think, of, of engaging with people, the, the way you've done it, designed it. Yeah, and I'm just trying to explore it. And again, you know, I'm not going to say it like if I show it, it's like, oh my God, I've totally nailed it. But it's more the, it's, you know, you know, the main thing is just thinking, don't blame the screen, you know, blame the format and blame the, blame the way you're trying to tell the story, you know, in the way, you, you know, you used to do it. And I mean, clearly, you know, what you do on stage is totally different to a music video. It's like, of course, you know, they had to invent that way of doing music videos. That, that Yeah, exactly. Different, totally different. You know, and then I just thought, I, I don't know why I thought the subtitle thing, I, I didn't, I was thinking, I literally want people to see the breath coming out of my mouth. I've not seen anyone do that. I've not. I'm just imagining the, what do you call it? The, 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 what's the, the character in Alice in Wonderland, you know, when he's smoking and then the words come out and like, yeah. smoke, like because you said the smoke rings, you remember all the words come out of his mouth and it goes into the like, oh yeah, that's what I'm like. Yeah. yeah you would literally, you would be so like drawn in if you saw that as well. Yeah. You know, and then, and then I post rationalized it by sort of saying, well, if I just put subtitles across the bottom, people are going to notice those probably at the moment they fade out. And, you know, I didn't do it for that reason, but post-rationalizing it, I was like, if the people are watching my mouth as I speak, so if the words come out of my mouth, they're going to see the words, the eye's going to follow it up the screen, then they're going to read it, and it kind of makes more sense. Anyway, anyway, that's been my obsession. I really hope it's working. Wow. <laughs> when I saw you doing the, the TED Talk, Sorry, Karina, but when I saw you doing the TED Talk and you were doing the you were you were doing all the DJ thing and then the drum the poster with the drums and everything, has anyone done an album sleeve yet? Yeah, so we did that for DJ Cubert. He he did an actual album sleeve, and we made um, DJ decks that worked in the album cover. I literally, I was literally going. I want an album sleeve. I was literally yeah. going. I literally, I'm, I, I, you know, I don't know if the record company will be like, well, it's going to be too expensive because that is what always record companies it's ever major. say. It's too expensive. It's too expensive. But I literally was like, as soon as we're like, I've got a meeting next week. I'm like, can we have, can we please have an album sleeve that does? You know, there's just so many different things you could do with it. It was so exciting. I mean, you could touch certain parts of it and you could hear like, um, demo versions of stuff and but different bits like so like if you like even touched the title of a single you could hear like or a song that you would hear like a version of it that isn't on the album as such it's like just snippets of things I thought god this is so exciting even just doing you know what what I'm because you know I mean cocooning you know there's the challenge of how we get it into more production and get the cost down and the rest of it but but there is a lot of value in just doing a few um and sh- and sharing that you know and sharing people's reaction to it being a few because that in itself gets lots of people to notice something and some of our most successful projects we've only actually made a few like you know we only made like five bj pizza boxes for pizza hut and they did a treasure hunt for them over twitter but that ended up in the daily mail and the daily mirror and and it and it, it creates you know interest and you know, and the same for McDonald's. And then I recently just made something for Bootsy Collins. I don't know if you know Bootsy Collins. Yes. Yes. He's one of my favourite people. He's the coolest person I know. Yeah, I've known him for a few years. And I, I, I shared the stage with him once, which was kind of fun. don't know why I went <laughs> stage with Bootsy Collins. He you was, has a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> he was playing bass on my notebook. And I was and I was dropping air horns from my baseball cap, which is kind of fun. <laughs> And, and we were entertaining. That's one of the best lines I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> we, we were entertaining the kids of North Carolina with with also someone else who I know who is DJ Lance Rock from the TV show Yo Gabba Gabba, which is funny. Anyway, and then I mean, a few months ago, maybe I'm not how sure how long ago, maybe six weeks ago, Bootsy said, "Can you just make me um, a demo of a poster and a pizza box?" And I just did it for funsies over the weekend. And then he asked me to FedEx it to Jimmy Fallon, which I did. And then a few Fridays later, Jimmy Fallon opened his show with the pizza box and the poster. And wow! Named, oh my god! Me, he name drops me as Bootsy's friend when he opened the show. 
I thought that was kind of cool. And I only made one of these. Still kill. And it got viewed by millions of people. And that's, you know, that's kind of, that's, you know, an, an easy in to do something. That's amazing. I want to, can I just rewind a little bit? Because we've steamed into our conversations and none of our listeners really yeah. know much about you and your past. So I just thought be, maybe okay. 27 <laughs> minutes in <laughs> to do a little, 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 little intro. Because Charlene and I are so excited about talking to you. But I know that there were some key points that when I was, when I first got to meet you, which I think is so incredible now that you got a, initially at college, you were saying that you deferred four years and then ended up, you, you said you got an N for your physics and design, which you thought stands for not even, which I assume you're meaning that you weren't even close to getting any kind of qualification. But then four years later, you landed at Cambridge on a full scholarship. Is that correct? That I, that's right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. That's can... just, that's so incredible. And I mean, you're just reading parts of your life is, sounds like it's you couldn't make it up like your childhood between the Amari desert and the jungles of Borneo to now being in a secret location in New York state it's just you're <laughs> I think you're so incredible Kate oh thank you I, I don't know it's just I I just I just keep following the thread and 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 never give up following my dreams because I believe that grown up means giving up and I'm never going to give up on just trying to follow doing doing what I wanted to do when I was a kid, which I didn't really know what it was, but I just keep pulling at the thread, you know. Um, I um, yeah, I totally failed my high school. Um, got the ends that I I say stand for not even because I think they do stand for not even. You know? Um, like you know, the examiner's like, I'm not even going to bother. I'm not even going <laughs> to. And I was so mixed up at school and. And then I, I ended up going to Australia. I, I say my parents bought me a one-way ticket to Australia, which is which is only partly true. It, it's just that I just didn't come home for four years. Wow. Um, so the, the return ticket lapsed. And so I arrived in Australia at 11 o'clock at night with $400. I knew nobody. I had nowhere to stay. Um, and I just remember the airport doors in Melbourne Airport closing behind me, like the sort of automatic doors being stood outside, hit by the heat, and thinking, oh my God, what have I done? And everything I know is on the other side of the world. Um, you know, and I just sort of just slowly found my feet and I worked in factories and warehouses and then moved on to working in farms and, and ended up working on a 120,000 acre sheep farm in far western New South Wales. Um, somehow having to ride a motorbike every day, even though I'd never ridden a motorbike in my life, and I lied to say that I could ride a motorbike. And every single day I rode it, I fell off every single day. Um, and we're like, you know, because we're proper off-road, you know, jumping over creeks. And um, there was one paddock that had unmarked mine shafts that you had to watch out for. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of intense. And then, you know, and I spent a few years doing that. And But I knew I really wanted to get into electronics. And, and I also knew that people who were coming on their gap yard from their fancy colleges... Um, with their fancy degree, I knew that they were going to be my boss for the rest of my life if I didn't get myself into university. So, I don't know. So, yeah, so as I was travelling home, I um, found a university prospectus in the British consulate in Singapore. I wrote to the university from the beach in Malaysia on the Prentian Islands. I didn't know where to get them to write to, so I gave them the post office address in Hong Kong, which I can still remember, which is Post Restaurant, um, East Nathan Road, Kowloon, Chim Sachui, <laughs> Kowloon, <laughs> Hong Kong. Um, and a few months later, there was a letter there from the university saying, you don't have the qualifications to do our degree, so you can do a foundation course. And I wrote back saying, well, I have my local funding, my, my funding for my local council, so I'm doing your degree or I'm going to come back and do my, do my high school again, my A-levels. And they wanted money, so they let me in. The first year of that uni was terrible. So me and four others went and found another uni, which was Salford. Salford didn't want me. They wanted the others. I told them we were a package deal. So they took all four of us. Bloody <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. So I transferred, we transferred straight into our second year of electronic engineering and I just worked really, really, really hard. And I knew 
I wanted to get a first class degree because I knew if I got that, it would wipe the slate clean of everything. And to get that, I had to get a degree average of 70. I knew if I aimed for 70, I'd get 69. So I aimed for 80 and I finished my degree with 79.4 as my final degree average. Um, and I think UCL, KCL and Cambridge offered to fund me to do a PhD. I chose Cambridge because I really liked the project. Um, yeah, and I ended up doing a, full, a, a funded PhD, St. John's College, Cambridge. I still haven't passed my English language GCSE. Jesus. Shocking. <laughs> Bloody shocking. <laughs> That's amazing. What determination, though. That's exactly kind of the, the drive that you've got with this now. It's like, no, I'm going to do it my way and I'm not going to give up. And... Yeah. You just go find the right time to do the right thing, right? Yeah. Do you think, Kate, a lot that, that you know, that because Karina hit on the, the fact that in your childhood you did travel, you did have, you saw so many, you learned so many different things. Like, I mean, literally you were, like, learning all these different trades in different parts of the world amongst different culture. Do you, I mean, to me that's the best education you can have, but do you feel that, that that really molded this freedom in you that that your parents had allowed and and you were just like I'm just going to like you know dance to my own tune here yeah I I think that the, one of the greatest privileges I have is the privilege of knowing that someone like me can do something like whatever I want um and and having being in different parts of the world and seeing different things and being outside of the bubble has enabled me to have that mindset of if I really want to do it and put my mind to it, I can do it. Um, I did um, I did a project last year where we interviewed some local people. Um, I took portrait photos of them. We did half hour interviews and we took sound bites um, from those interviews and put them onto the posters. And then we put them up in the walls of the street here in Kingston, which is nearby where I live. I live near Woodstock, New York. Um, and we interviewed I know that part of the world very well. Oh, nice. Oh, I live on a Ohio mountain looking over the Ashokan Reservoir. It's very, very beautiful. Oh, wow. I'm very lucky. Um, and we have a black bear that comes to the window sometimes, which is quite scary. Yeah, that is kind of, yeah. I, we were, we were, I did a, a record up in Woodstock one time. And there was a lot of bears. They were like, be careful if the bears come out to the houses. Just kind of like, just don't, just keep all food away from outside and just lay low if the bears come. Just keep quiet. I was like, oh my God. I was like, I'm from Glasgow. I'm not used to bears. <laughs> what was I saying? So yeah, so we did this project and we, there was, there was two, um, there's two girls that we, two girls from like high school age we interviewed and both of them, I think either they were born in Mexico or their family came from Mexico. And we asked them, you know, what did you want to do when you were a child? And both of them separately, they were interviewed separately. Both said they wanted to be an astronaut. And then we said, well, you know, what do you want to do now? Because we were interested in, in interviewing people saying, what did you aspire to when you were a child? What are you doing now? What do you want to do? And what do you think you'll do in the future? And we said, you know, so, so you know, what do you want to do now? And they said... Both of them said the same thing. Well, I realise now that someone like me could never be an astronaut. And it just really broke my heart, you know? And Why? Because they just didn't see a, I guess, they just didn't imagine that someone from their background, from who they are, from where they are, is the sort of person who can be an astronaut. And that just made me realise an element of privilege that we all, you know, not all, sorry, <laughs> that many of us have is believing that, someone like me can do something like that not realizing that there are many many people who have will have a, a, a bred inbred inferiority of thinking well someone like me can never do something like that no matter how much i want to and we asked them what they wanted to do and both of them said they wanted to be a kindergarten teacher which is a great thing to want to be but probably the only reason they want to do that is because it's probably the only positive role model in a job that they've had in their life and so for me growing up having exposure of seeing many different places and many different things, it becomes a part of somewhere I think I can go back to. And, you know, what I try to give to, to my kids 
to my two daughters is I tell them the one thing I want to give them is just exposure to people and places. And, you know, and beyond that, it's up to them. And so something that I believe is, I believe that our mind is made out of two halves. One half is in our head and body. The other half of our mind is our environment. And it, I call it an inner mind and an outer mind. And the, the inner, mind, an inner mind and outer mind are connected together via our five known senses. So sight, smell, taste, sound, and touch. And, and so I believe that our environment is actually our mind. And if you say to someone where they have their best idea, they will tell you a place, you know, in the shower, in the pencil, going on a walk, or, you know, whatever it might be. Most people will have a place where they think. And so if we use our environment to think, how can it not be part of our mind? Um, and, and, you know, once I realized that, that our environment is our mind, to expand your mind, all you have to do is travel. All you have to do is go. All you have to do is have been somewhere else because everywhere you've been, every journey you've taken, everything you've touched, everything you've seen, every person you've met, all becomes part of who you are and becomes part of your mind. Once you realize that, it's really hard to unsee it. And once you realize your environment is your mind, two people in the same environment, it means their minds overlap and it means that they are partly the same person. It means we are all one person because we're all sharing the same outer mind. You know, and so this is something that I believe in a lot. And, and I believe that, you know, for me being in Australia and all my travels was, was all expanding, expanding part of my mind. And it's somewhere you can always go back to. And it's something you can always think. And someone who hasn't traveled is literally small minded. Someone who thinks they can do things without having been anywhere and experienced everyone is literally big headed because they believe everything about who they are is only in their head. And we have to recognize that who we are is mostly outside, outside our own. That's a great, actually, mindset to have. I think I totally agree. I mean, 100% agree with you. I just think absolutely. I think traveling is everything because, like we were saying, I grew up, my dad was in the Merchant Navy, and we traveled as kids. We were taken all over the world. And I don't think I would be the person that I am now if I hadn't traveled so much, definitely. Because I, I literally thought, sky was a limit I was literally like you know I could just of all the different things that educated me throughout my life from a young age it's so important my dad was in the merchant navy and then and then he became an engineer for Shell and so then he worked for Shell in Omar and Shell in Brunei because my dad was in oil as well my dad was literally worked for Denham's in merchant navy and was traveled all over as well in America mostly and then he went to Saudi Tel. So it's like really weird that you say that, but that was my youth as well. Travelled. We would go away when my dad was on the ship and the summer holidays would be taken to all these different places and meet all these different people. And you would have to, I think there's a lot to be said as well, that when you're put into different environments and you need to mix instantly as a youngster, has a lot to do with who you become as an adult. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such an important thing. That's why I believe it is our mind. And once you've been there, you know you can go back. Once you've dealt with something, you know you, you know you can do it again. And I, I really do think that expanding your mind is all about travel. It's all about going to places. I think what's also really interesting is it's embedded in a lot of our language. So, you know, if, if someone moves things around in your desk and you go down to your desk the next day and then that happens a few days in a row, you will say, who's messing with my mind? You, like, you literally say that your environment is your mind Karina you said it's an interesting mindset and I believe that a mindset is like a stage set your mindset is the set of things that are around you and in that case you can actually curate your mind if you recognize your environment is your mind that is why you have to make your bed and tidy your room because it is it is your mind and it is an indication of the state of your mind and it makes you know you can feel uncomfortable and unsettled because of how things are organized or not organized in your environment. Having a little anecdote, which is from the forest, if I may, I started to think that I love hiking. And I started to think that when I'm hiking through the forest, that I started to imagine that I, I'm the needle on a record, right? And that the trail is the groove of the record. And that as I walk down the trail and duck under branches, step over the stones, skip, you know, through the, over the, through the water in the creek or, 
you know, whatever, or listen out for, oh my gosh, is that a bear or, you know, whatever. That all of that friction that's created, it stimulates thoughts in my mind. So whatever thoughts I'm having are sort of modified by that journey. And so the trail is the groove on the record. I'm the needle. And every thought that I have is the music that's in my mind. And then that made me think, if you don't like the music in your mind, change the fucking record, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and curate the journeys that you take to work. Like the journey you take to work is so important to curate, you know, like you need the right journey, the right distance from work, the people that are around you, the objects that you have, where you live, where you sleep, all of those things are all part of your mind and you need to curate that. And then it made me think about designing products, right? If when we design an object, a space or a journey, we're actually designing the inside of people's minds. And if we don't think about that when we design a school, we're, we're designing the minds of our children by inappropriately designing a school. When you think about how you design a prison or a workplace or like anything, like we have to recognize that we're actually designing people's minds and think about that when we create any place, object, or journey. At last Christmas, when I was back in the UK, my brother was reading the book about shifting your mindset, um, saying there's two types, one that's got the set mindset that you'll never change, and one that has this mindset that is always intriguing, questioning things, open to learn new things, which made me, that's what I've been rereading since I've been in lockdown. And it's fascinating how the mind works and how you can retrain it and rewire it, if you want to. Yeah, but factor in that half of your mind is your environment. So as difficult as it is to change the mind and what's in your head and your brain and how you feel with all of those chemicals and things that get you down and get you depressed, it's it, and then you know and we and then we take drugs to try and affect our mind to try and you know thinking those things and all the rest of it. Whilst that may be necessary some of the time, the best thing you is to change your physical environment, change the people around you, the journeys you take, the objects around you you know go somewhere go on holiday travel like that is a part of your mind you know you don't, and you don't even need to go anywhere exotic or anything you can literally do it in your own backyard but you have to get off the fucking couch and put your body through some kind of journey whatever it is it's accessible to everyone in some degree but once you recognize that half of your mind is your environment that bit of your mind you can change and you can move around and i know for many people it's a real struggle to do that. I and mean, then not everyone has the privilege to be able to do that, but many people do and they don't. Yeah, there's many people that, yeah, that, that is the sad thing is that there are many people that do have the opportunity to do it and they don't. Yes. You know, the simplicity even of being in your own home, going from room to room and the environment changing within, like, you know, making your home something that does, you know, like, because you spoke there when you were talking about the, the groove, the path is the groove. And you bend, you go under, you move under a branch, but that's a rhythm. So you're creating a rhythm within the groove as well, which the environment is surrounding you. I mean, it's all because I've always said that music is like a heartbeat. And that's when you can plug into the breath and the rhythm at a moment in time. And that's what makes a hit record when people get the opportunity to hear it, because that's when they think, I know this sound I know this I know this beat I know this rhythm and that's when people everyone's like oh I love that record because it's something that there's it's like a euphoric feeling that people have that the music hits them and then you know like they say that people with Alzheimer's that music is the one thing that can literally change their mood instantly where because it can bring back so many memories and a lot of things for them so that is about an environment and it is about exactly what you said is it's the whole concept is it's massive but it's amazingly interesting and 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 it is we're sitting here going it's a really simple thing to do but it is just getting people to go right come on go and do it just just do it because we are in this day and age we are lazy sometimes we're really lazy we are we are i know i am i know i am i am as well we cannot let our physical we cannot let ourselves believe that our, the physicality of our body limits our mind we have to recognize the mind outside our body and you know 
that includes music that includes smells and tastes and you know all of the all all of those things so, so few people go on the mountains and walk around mountains you know when i like yeah i love like hiking in the lake district on my favorite places and obviously I, I love hiking in scotland too most of my hikes were in the lake district you know but when i sleep on top of the mountain i know that there's probably only 10 people in the whole of the united kingdom who are at the same elevation as me out of, you know 60 million people because if i'm sleeping on the top of you know i don't know one of the highest mountains that the, and there's no one else around and it's the middle of winter no one else is that stupid <laughs> to do that. <laughs> I love my wild camping I have to ask you about your walkie-talkies then that leads nicely into this is that how this came about yeah so so I, I've been out in the forest a few times with with some preppers I'll just say that again so my, my cable moved I've been out in the forest a few times with some preppers I, I went last year with some preppers to be honest, I hope they don't hear, hear this, but they didn't really impress me that much. They didn't seem very prepared. I mean, one of them one of them was asking, does anyone have any jump leads? Because my car's a bit dodgy. And I'm like, you're supposed to be a prepper and you have no jump leads in your car. And it's like winter. <laughs> and, and and my daughter and I went and we slept outside in our hammocks with them. And it was like minus 20 or something like that. So it was pretty cold. Minus 20 C. And they told us to bring these radios, which we got the $29 radios you get from amazon so we had them and then i discovered you're supposed to have a license to use them so um i took my test and got my license and got my call sign last year and but i was really quite mic shy and didn't really go on it but i did join a local club which i'm not going to be rude but it's a certain demographic a very right. certain demographic. right and i was the only one of my demographic which is basically female. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fascinated you need a license to use a walkie-talkie. Can I ask you, is it, like, is it like a CB radio? Is that what it's like? Yeah. And a ham radio, people like, they're like, it's not a CB radio, but it's kind of like a CB radio. It's, it's just to, to use the bands that they use and to use them with the power that you can transmit on, you need a license. If you just buy a walkie-talkie, they don't go very far and they're on specific frequencies. But this allows you to transmit, like, literally all around the world. Um, you, you, you can actually set up an antenna and transmit as far as the moon, and people will transmit and bounce the signal off the moon back to the other side of Earth. Anyway, yeah, so I put an antenna up at the house and I got the radio, passed the license. And then there was someone started doing, because of COVID, a morning get-together on the radio. And there's a repeat, so we transmit to a repeater on the on the Overlook Mountain, which is look, overlooking Woodstock, and it's at one four six point eight oh five megahertz. So we call it the eight five, and we started having this get together at eight thirty five every morning. So we call it the eight thirty five on the eight oh five, and this guy called Paul, AC two UQ, he <laughs> this, just, <laughs> he has this lovely manner about him and the way that he brings people together and and it's just fascinating and so you know every morning exactly 8 35 he puts out his call and it goes is this frequency clear is this frequency clear and then he pauses and then he goes this is paul ac2 uq transmitting from new pulse you know blah 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 and then he says his little his little thing and then he says i'm going to practice my good ham etiquette if there is anybody out there, please come now. And then one by <laughs> one, people say their call signs. Sometimes we speak over the top of each other and, and then we get through everyone saying their call sign. And I'm like, this is Kate in Glenford, um, above the show cam, um, KD2, RYD. Um, and, you know, and, then, and then he will then say back to us the list and find out if we missed anyone. And then there's usually 10 to 13 people. And we spend half an hour each talking for one to three minutes, saying what we've done that day or what we're doing the next day or did the previous day. And then we pass, we call it passing the candle, we pass it on to the next person. And it's, it's I just love it. It's, it's random people, you know. So one person runs the IT for a very large research hospital. Another person does the tech side for very, a very large um, network TV station for like the transmitting through the satellites and all of that for the sports channels or the news or whatever. Um, another person's a pharmacist. I think someone's unemployed. What else is there? 
Um, someone's retired. Well, the, most of them, quite a few of them are retired. Most retired, but someone retired. And um, one of them's like making a steam engine in his garage. Of course, he is. And uh, yeah, and each has like, a little story of where they're up to, um, with just these just just random little nuggets. It, it's like our own version of the archers, and every single day <laughs> we fail, we tap in. And the thing that it's made me realise is the art of conversation and because the tech is really limited and you can only speak while you're pressing the button you can't hear anyone and you speak to one or three minutes one, one to three minutes and um and then that's it you pass the candle and then you listen to everyone else and so for 90 percent of the time we're listening and not speaking I hope you all got very excited listening to that podcast. If you want to read more of our interview with Dr Stone and support us, you can get a copy on our website at missionmag.org. You can either download the digital copy for $12. Honestly, it's a real bargain because it's interactive. It's 474 pages of fantastic content. Or you can get a hard copy, which is on newsstands, also on missionmag.org. And you can get that delivered. But it's $15 in America and £10 in the UK and €10 in Europe. Up next is also someone we featured in this current issue. They have quite an interesting past. He was living in New York at the start of Stonewall protests and has been supporting the LGBTQIA plus rights and donating to those causes for quite some decades. We're really honoured to be able to speak to someone who has seen so much change towards the LGBTQIA plus community and then perhaps none at all. Please tune in next time as we speak to native New Yorker Owen Levy. Take good care, everyone. We are all going through such a crappy time. So be kind to each other. Thank you. Bye-bye.